What's going on, Podcast Tribe? I'm your host, Jackson Hall, and welcome to another episode of the Live Thrivingly Podcast. Today, we're opening the door to a world where courage meets creativity, where resilience transforms into triumph, and where a near-death experience blossoms into a life filled with passion, purpose, and empowerment. Our guest is none other than Alexander Farrar, a true Renaissance man, a chef, painter, author of 22 books, and a philanthropist whose journey began at the brink of death. He awoke from a coma with amnesia and forged a path marked by hard work, intuitive trust, and relentless adaptation. In this episode, we'll delve into his extraordinary transformation, explore the, the principles of his inspiring book, The Hero Mindset, and uncover how he transcended culinary boundaries to turn a small space into a top-ranked restaurant and art gallery. Alexander's story isn't just about survival. It's about thriving, growing, and inviting us all to become the heroes of our own stories. So sit back, open your mind, and get ready for a conversation packed with wisdom, humor, and insights that could potentially change your life. Let's dive in. I'm glad that you tried the margarita pizza at the restaurant. Um, now, it's not one of our original dishes because it was the first ever pizza made in 1800. And it was made uh, originally as a, as, a, as a dish to commemorate the visit of Queen Margarita of Italy when she came to Naples. And so this chef made something that had all the colors of the Italian flag, red for the tomato sauce and the tomatoes on top, white for the mozzarella and green for basil. And there's not a lot that you can do with that um, to make it your own. I mean, it's, it's the most original pizza ever. And those are the basic ingredients. You add anything else to it and it's no longer a margarita pizza, but I wanted to do something to make it stand out. And so we have this blend of Italian herbs um, Italian herb blends are kind of like, in my opinion, at least, garam masala. You got your standards, uh, the standard spices that you include, but every household has their slightly different one. And so you could try something made with garam masala in this house, and it'll be eh, completely different over here. So we get the standard uh, Italian spices and uh, and herbs, dry them and mix them together in the ratio that we liked best and sprinkle that on there along with some garlic powder and you know little things that give it some oomph and i think that's what you liked when you tried it thank you i appreciate it yeah it was the flavors were were incredible but also the ambiance of of your restaurant in antigua was something that was very captivating Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we have undergone several incarnations in the restaurant. And the most important thing I felt was to always keep the ambiance that we had originally. When we first opened uh, 14 years ago, it was in this shoebox, this tiny little location. And before us, it had been a wedding dress shop. And the kitchen was the fitting room. 
it was so small and it didn't matter at first because I didn't have any employees. You know, so I was the waiter, the cook, the dishwasher, everything. Went to the market, bought all of the things that we would need for that day, schlepped it oh, back to the place on foot because I didn't have a vehicle at the time. And I had a system of mirrors set up. Uh, so I got a mirror over the stove and a mirror over the pila a pila is uh what we use for washing dishes here we also have dishwashers but it's a more humble dishwasher right and i had the mirrors slightly angled to reflect each other so no matter where i was or what i was doing I could see when new people came in through the door, I could stick my head out and go, hey, I'll be right with you. Hold on. And if somebody tried to sneak out without paying, they're like, hey, get back here. And people, oh, my God, I already know. And it was the most humble security system I think I could ever have, but it worked. And people really loved that it was so small and cozy. And the way that we decorated it, my wife, who is, was my girlfriend back then, she's an architect and also does interior decorating. So she'll design the house and she's got 80 some odd men that will build it for her. And then she'll decorate it. And she does an amazing job. And she turned this tiny little space that we had into number one on TripAdvisor, tiny little restaurant that everyone wanted to eat in. And, and it felt less like a restaurant and more like someone's home. And so people felt very comfortable in it. It was also an art gallery. Uh, we'd had the idea to make an art gallery restaurant a long time ago. I'd wanted to do it since forever and finally did it because as a painter i wanted to find places that i could hang my art that would sell not just in art galleries but restaurants and we had this idea to make our own and so all the paintings in the restaurant that are not mine are by local artists that we represent um and people really like the ambiance at that land it was always changing uh Okay, so we sold the paintings that we had now, and, and as we sell them, we ask the artist to bring me something new that they just finished, or I'll commission something. And when we moved, because we had to, when we started out, we could sit 14 people comfortably, and we found out one night, 39 people uncomfortably. It was a, a wedding party of Chinese people. And um, they were some were from uh, were living in California, but the majority of them were living in, in China. But they'd come to meet in Guatemala to have their wedding. And they wanted the wedding dinner at my tiny little place. And so we take out all the furniture that we had and rented party furniture with narrower chairs um, and managed to fit all 39 in there. And they were comfortable enough. And it was just such a big hit. And we were so grateful that it worked out. And it was just me and my wife came in to help. And the two of us cooked everything and it went off without a hitch. And 
But still, as we gained fame, people started lining up outside the door and we had no place to put them. We bought these these cheap little plastic stools and uh, had them lined up in a corner. It looked awfully gauche, but um, it's what I had to do. I had no place else to put them. And when people would come and were waiting on tables, I'd say, here, let me give you a stool. Give them a stool and a glass of wine and they're sitting outside on the sidewalk. And they, well, this is kind of tacky, but fun. And I really appreciated that, that they took it as fun. And we were looking everywhere for a better location because we had to move. We just, even though we were filled all the time, we just didn't have the volume to make any money. And we were just barely breaking even. And I looked everywhere and people were coming and offering me uh, locations. And I was always thinking, yes, you know what? There's, this is a really great spot and I feel like it should work, but something is making me hesitate. Um, if you're religious at all, it felt like God had his hand on my shoulder and was going, hold on, kid. But it's it's such a good location. It was like, calm down. All right. And I have to tell people that and they're they're uh, treating me like I'm crazy. They say, um, if you speak to God, that's praying. But if God speaks to you, that's schizophrenia. They go, and how do you tell somebody in a business meeting, look, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go go through with it because I feel like God is telling me not to. You look like a crazy person, but I guess that's what I am. And we had this absolutely perfect location that, uh, oh, my God, it was beautiful. It was two stories, and, and two stories is not common in Antigua because they have rules here. You can't have more than more than one story because that will affect the blah, blah, blah. And this already had two stories. Perfect. And it was right next door to one of the most popular sports bars, which was packed with people pretty much all the time. And that would guarantee I would have a lot of foot traffic, a lot more than that lonely street that where other businesses closed one by one, making it lonelier and lonelier as time went by. So, wow, it'd be great that I have this location right here. And then one day, it was a Wednesday morning that I just thought, like, I felt God, I guess, telling me, go there right now. But but why? I got to get ready for, uh, for you know, like, brunch service. Like, no, 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 go. Yeah, we have brunch every day, all day, every day. Um, you know, go, go now. Okay, closed the doors, ran the few blocks to get to that restaurant, and looked, and I saw... How best to say this? The mess left on the stoop and the front door by people who'd been there last night, Tuesday night, by people who did not know their limitations. I'll leave it up to your imagination what I found all over the stoop of what would be my new restaurant. So, okay, didn't go through with it. A couple weeks passed by and this new opportunity just dropped into my lap. Somebody had 
um, come and told me I want to open a restaurant and I need your advice. Like, why would I give him my advice? He's going to open up my competition, but it was going to be outside of town, blah, blah, blah. Okay, sure. And I had sneak preview for the new restaurant. Uh, he'd only invited a few people, the landlord, one guy from Italy that he knew, and me and my wife. So we went and we sat at the table with the landlord and got to talking and we just happened to mention, yeah, well, we're really struggling to, to try and find a new location, but you know, there's really nothing anywhere available for us. And the guy goes, well, funny you should mention it, but I have a great location in the corner of Central Park that's going to be available this Wednesday. Really? And, you know, I, I perk up and my wife's kicking me under the table, like, shut up, feign disinterest. Okay. We managed to get this location. Now, it's still tiny. It's only got room for one more table, but that bumps us up to 19 people. And oh my God. The was still tiny, but a little bit bigger, but we made sure to keep that cozy atmosphere, use uh, end tables with, uh, with living room lamps on it so that people still felt like they were in our living room or our dining room rather. No, it felt more like a, a living room with dinner tables in it. And then we were there for, we were like that for two years and people would come in and say, uh, hi, um, can I go sit in the back? The back? What do you mean the back? The garden. I wanna go sit in the garden in the back. We don't have a garden in the back. Oh, well, we'll go someplace else. Hey, baby. My wife just showed up. <laughs> so uh, we waited. And two years later, the owner of the house let us annex the space in the back. That was just an, it was a storage facility for the shop next door. And he let us open up a door in there. And my wife she turned it into this outdoor garden, took the roof off, made it made us like let a, let people eat under the naked sky. And it was a big hit. And people would come in and go, OK, great. So how can we sit on the roof? Where's the stairs? Uh, sorry. Yeah, we want to sit on the roof. Uh, yeah, sorry, we don't have a rooftop terrace, but we have this lovely garden. With a pergola and everything. Yeah, we want to eat on the roof. Okay. Nine years go by, and now we finally have the rooftop terrace where we were really blessed with this. When we we hit the jackpot with this view, we got all three volcanoes, the cathedral, the arch, the famous arch of Antigua, La Merced, which is another famous church, and uh, the cross on the hill and the best view of fireworks. We have fireworks all the time in Antigua, and especially on New Year's. Most of the fireworks are concentrated in uh, Central Park and on Fifth Avenue. And we're on the corner of Fourth and Fourth, right in the corner of Central Park. So we've got all of the best, the best of both worlds. But we made sure that no matter what we did, we kept 
the place with the same ambiance. I've been in other restaurants where you're like very big, very beautiful, but empty, and we're the only people there. And it feels very intimidating. I don't know why, but it's just it's, don't really feel at home. But you could be the only people in our place and you feel like it opened especially for them. And we made sure that no matter what we did, as we got bigger and bigger, uh, we listened to what people said. They, they always said, listen, if you expand and eventually you will, because you must, please don't lose this ambiance. So we always keep it nice and cozy. And so the front salon is still very small and got a little a little even smaller salon with just two tables corridor the outdoor garden still nice and cozy upstairs spectacular view but it's still pretty small but we've we've grown like four times bigger we can see um let's see but 60 something people now so wow that's my very 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 long answer to your question no, I, I love it. And it's super fascinating. Um, I love hearing your perspective from a, a chef owner of a restaurant and uh, just how you've you've adapted to the situations you've you've listened to the people that have been coming. And over time, you just, you know, followed those that guidance of, hey, mm -hmm. you know, what was right and just how I found you in your restaurant, just kind of walking the the Central Park area and then just wander over to this restaurant and then find you and meet you and then now we're here uh it's really really incredible to hear these stories and uh you know i would Thank say you. like how important is is preserving that ambiance and creating an experience for an individual that comes to a restaurant beyond just the food or the art on the wall but how all that blends together to create a unique memorable experience that they go home and talk about and people comment on about comment on it and then go uh, and write reviews on TripAdvisor and Google. And they always mention the service because they really appreciate the service. Uh, I've got the best waiters in the world and the ambiance. It makes such a difference that the place is cozy and attractive, but feels like you're in someone's home. And it's it's not a, as much about the size of your restaurant or anything. It's it's that ability to create a place where people really feel comfortable and and happy to be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very important. Yeah. So moving along, Alexander, your life journey is a remarkable tapestry of artistry, culinary mastery, authorship, and philanthropy. In your book, The Hero Mindset, you've shared how you transitioned from a trophy-collecting prodigal son to a true renaissance man. Can you describe the interconnectedness of these diverse pursuits and how they all seem to converge around the principles and philosophies you outline in The Hero Mindset? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um... Yes, Hero Mindset is my only book that's nonfiction. I've got 22 books out at the moment, and I'm writing two more at the same time. And uh, this one is a story about, excuse me, it is my autobiography, but uh, 
God, all of a sudden it's tough to tough to talk about it. Okay. Um, yes, I had to admit at one point that uh, I was a jerk. I died uh, 21 years ago. Uh, um, um, all of a sudden I'm having an inarticulate mm -hmm. moment. So uh, died. they managed to bring me back to life. Uh, was in a coma for a long time in the hospital. And when I came out of it, I had amnesia. And I had to spend a long time as not a vegetable, like more like a fungus um, in this hospital bed. And just slowly, little by little, memories would come back of me and how I had acted, how I treated people. And uh, I was horrified. Like, oh, my God, what a horrible person I was. Well, no wonder I got killed. And uh, I definitely deserved it. And I look at my life as this, this culmination of crappy things that I had done. And I totally deserved being in the situation where I ended up. And I didn't want to be one of those guys that you know, like bargains with God and says, like, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll dedicate myself. And no, I didn't. I just said, OK, look, I admit what a crappy person I've been. And I apologize. I really do. And God, I commit myself to you. I I put myself and my fate in your hands. and. While I'm not going to try and say, oh, make me better and I'll do this. Whatever happens next, I accept it. And from this moment forward, I do promise that I will try to be the, no, I will be the best version of myself, which is how I ended up. They call me the Renaissance man. I don't call myself that, but uh, I will admit that, yes, they they had told me that my my brain had blood clots in it and they couldn't do anything to get rid of them all they could do was wait and see what would happen and if i had a stroke they could try and help me rehabilitate from it but there was nothing they could do to prevent the stroke so it's just we're gonna wait and see and i had these blood clots and that's oh no that's just something i had to accept and the day that I said what I just described, that I, I committed my my fate and to God. And I went ahead and said, Jesus Christ, just to get all bases covered. And then I had another MRI. And they found that the blood clots had miraculously, that's their word, miraculously disappeared. They just they were gone. Where the heck did they go? I know where they went because I can see them. Um, you know, the blood clots dissolved and went to other places in my body, and some of them went into my eyes. So I can see them all the time as floaters, these black floaters going all everywhere as a constant reminder of where I was and the depth to which I had fallen. And I use that as uh, my inspiration to rise to heights that I never would have imagined before. The hero mindset describes a way of thinking where imagine that you're the hero of a movie 
and you have an audience of thousands, maybe millions of people all the time, how are you going to act with them as witnesses to everything that you do? Are you going to be a villain or worse, uh, just a recurring minor character in your in the movie of your own life? Are you going to be gossiping neighbor number three? Or are you going to be a hero? Are you going to actually live the way you would want somebody else to applaud you? Now, of course, I admit I fall off the wagon every now and then. Personal story time. My mother recently passed away. And I, uh, while I was in Guatemala, I could avoid thinking about it because you know, I'm here. I'm here. I've got, by the grace of God, four different businesses. I've got a wife. These things take up my attention. But I had to go to Florida you know, to handle things. And I had to spend time in her house alone and going through her things to see what I was going to bring with me to Florida, what I was going, I mean, what I was going to bring with me to Guatemala, what I was going to donate to charity. And man, I was, I was a zombie and, you know, it would take me hours and hours and hours to pack up just one box because I'm looking for things to fill it with and like staring at it. I'd, I would lose so much time just staring at it and having all of these memories come flooding back of my mother. And so I admit that there were times like that where I did not behave at my best. Uh, I understand grief is something that you mortals go through. So uh, I guess it affected me too. But normally, I try to be the best version of myself as much as I can because I have this imaginary audience that's watching me and judging me based on my actions. Do you remember in Batman Begins uh, when uh, first Rachel says to Bruce in judgment of the way he's acting? Bruce, it's... It's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. And later he says that line back to her when he's in his Batman suit and he just saved her life. Every little thing that you can do to help people matters. And it doesn't matter whether anybody's really watching it like your imaginary, uh, like my imaginary audience. Um it was just little things that you can do to be somebody else's hero in any tiny little way. Um, I was driving to work and I had to take a different route. And sometimes people park badly and this enormous truck was blocking the view of oncoming traffic. And I'm behind an SUV and I'm looking through the rear window at the woman that's driving and wondering, like, why is she taking so much time? to go. Is she looking at her phone? No. I look through the rear window and I can see her face. She's straining her neck trying to see beyond this monster truck, but you know, here comes a car out of the blue and I'm like, Oof. okay, yeah, I definitely would have crashed. Uh, is there anybody coming? I don't know. And I could see her wanting to inch forward and put her nose out there, but she doesn't dare. And I'm on 
my quad, a four-wheeler. And I just said, oh, I can very easily just go around it. So I do. Mm-hmm. Go around and look. I see nobody's coming. And I look back at her and I can see the look on her face. She's like, this freaking jerk. And I go. And her face just brightens up. She's like, oh, my God. And she goes and crosses the street. I wait for her to go and then follow along with her. And then I forget about it. Then I start bumping into her around town. Maybe I'd seen her a thousand times but didn't recognize her because we'd never had an interaction before. But now when we see each other, she has this great big smile like, hello, how are you? And it makes me feel great. And it makes me straighten up a little bit. Now, did I save her life? No. But I did a minor nice thing to somebody who needed it at the time and do other little things around town, things where other people would go, Jesus, weirdo, why would you bother doing that? Because it makes another person's day a little bit better. Maybe you're in the middle of a crappy moment. Uh, Maybe you're in a fight with your spouse uh, and the bills are weighing heavily on you that day. And you just feel like everything's closing in on you. And somebody does a minor nice thing for you. That can just completely turn your life around. At least for that moment. So that is the importance to me of minor heroisms every day that I describe in the hero mindset. And there's a lot more to it than that. It's not just these, this little advice of do-gooderism. Um, also talk about how you can improve your mind in various ways. Uh, for example, I feel that a lot of emotions are habits. Um like if you're playing the piano with practice you improve you form these neural pathways well it's like that with emotions too if you choose to think about being a victim every day if you practice victimhood you'll become an expert at it and you'll be the, you'll go through life being this freaking martyr that annoys the heck out of everybody else with your constant complaining and never actually getting anywhere in life. And people, it's been proven by experiments that people who feel that they are victims never actually excel in anything because they constantly feel like the world's against them. They're like, oh, why I shouldn't bother putting myself out there because I'm always going to lose and it's going to be somebody else's fault. So um, I found the way to cure yourself of that so repetition is the mother of all learning and so what we repeat to ourselves is what we reinforce every day and if we've been doing it since childhood you would think that it's impossible to break down that barrier that you've built up between yourself and the world and we build that in many different little ways like especially what we take in every day so music we listen to. I used to listen to angry music because I used it as jet fuel for going through life, especially working out. When you're in the gym, you listen to angry music. And especially when we're, uh, when our mind is wide open, 
uh, for accepting this negative image, this negative message rather, uh, we really program ourselves with that. Now, what's this angry music about? It's very self-serving. It's like, oh my God, my life is crap. I've been treating like, treated like garbage and it's time for me to take my revenge. Or, oh my God, I'm wallowing in misery and nothing ever works out for me. Well, if you keep listening to that and worse, singing along to it, that is going to be your identity. The way I stumbled upon this is, see, I have tinnitus because I listened to angry music too loud for too many years. And so I have this constant ringing in my ears. A lot of people go through that. So in order to fall asleep at night, I would have to listen to something else, either white noise or when I was a child, I listened to books on tape to fall asleep, but they weren't the classics or anything useful. They were fairy tales. And what do fairy tales talk about? Oh, they talk about the fairy godmother that's going to come through for you in the clinch and help you get what you need done. Or the magical genie that's going to do absolutely the same thing. I had managed to program myself in my childhood to believe that somebody else would do it for me, a fairy godmother or a genie or just deus ex machina. And this was a big problem with me in the early days of being an entrepreneur. For example, my exotic ice cream shop, we have an exotic ice cream shop with at this date, 151 flavors. And it has a step outside. The door opens up on the street and it has a step made of stone. And that stone has been worn down by 300 years of people stepping on it. So it's pretty rounded and people would slip and fall on their way out. Uh, these poor girls in their high heels and I soup boom, fall down on their artificially inflated bungie and drop their ice cream. And like all these people dropping things. And I said, I kept complaining that somebody needs to fix that. Now, my wife, as I mentioned, is an architect and she has a construction company with 80 some odd men. And, uh, and if I complained often enough, eventually she would send a carpenter over or a stonemason or something. But she never did. You know, I'd complain and she would respond You're like, so fix it. But I didn't. Because even though it is my job as a man to be the one that fixes everything, I had programmed myself to believe that somebody else would. So. Skip ahead. I had stopped listening to fairy tales to fall asleep, and now I started listening I, for, year, for years. I would listen to comedy, because what's more boring than jokes you've already heard? I would listen to Eddie Izzard, if you've ever heard him. He's, he's a British transvestite comedian, and he's very goofy and very flamboyant. And I would listen to him because I would fall asleep right away. At first, the jokes were hilarious. The second time, yeah. <laughs> the third time. So I programmed myself for years on end to be a flamboyant British man. I, would, I was cracking jokes in this voice and this fake accent that wasn't mine. 
And when I finally became self-aware enough of it, oh, wait a second, why the heck am I doing this? Oh my God, I'm programming my subconscious mind during my sleep the same way I did as a child. And that's when I realized the consequences of how I had programmed myself for years. So I instead uh, found sleep hypnosis on YouTube. There's a whole bunch of channels that you can choose from. And there are some that have really slimy voices that just annoy the heck out of me because they're just, ugh. it sounds like my ear is being raped by a squid. These guys with their voices, their slimy voices, they say, visualize the back of your neck, relax. And they they make this echo effect on it, like, relax, 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 relax. How am I supposed to relax listening to this, this sexual predator voice? And he's probably not a sexual predator, but damn it, that's what he sounds like. There's this one guy I listen to. Uh... I guess I'll give him some free publicity. His name's Michael Seeley, and he's Australian. And he has the perfect voice to make me fall asleep. And I, I also skipped ahead a little bit, you know, while I was awake, skipped beyond the part where he's making you fall asleep. So I don't just go out like a light again and listen to what he's saying while I'm under, because I feel people could definitely take advantage of you while you're asleep and probably go shoot up a school. I'm terrified of somebody like programming me to do that. I don't think I'd do it, but the option's open. I definitely do talk like a flamboyant British man, uh, Englishman, which I am not. Anyway, so going back to what I was telling earlier. Um, he has a whole bunch of videos on a large range of topics that help you to reprogram your subconscious mind while you're in your most vulnerable state, while you're asleep. And I picked one on productivity. So I listened to it, fell asleep right away. Great stuff. And I woke up the next day with this unnerving consciousness of my own mortality I'm like oh my god i am gonna freaking die someday and i have no idea when and i'm wasting every second of my precious life that i'm never going to get back scrolling on facebook looking at instagram doing stupid things watching videos doing stupid things that are wasting my life now, don't get me wrong. I'm not I was not cured forever by this, by listening to one video. You got to listen to it. Frequently, maybe not every night, but frequently, because it's very easy to fall back into that trap that social media companies have purposely made to steal your attention. I mean, like I'm, I'm suffering from it right now again, so I probably sound like a hypocrite. Let's pretend I didn't say that I'm cured forever anyway. I was very, very conscious of my own mortality and how time was slipping away. And it was my most valuable resource. Like, you can make money every day, but you cannot make your time back. And here I am wasting it, just sleepwalking through life, being uh, devoting myself to the minutia of running four different businesses. 
and you know you, you lose a lot of your attention and your time that way but on this particular day when i woke up after listening to an eight hour loop of productivity affirmations i was like oh my god what the hell am i doing with my life and i had this immense pressure to go to the hardware store and buy two planks of wood, go to the restaurant and blow the dust off my tool set and make a freaking step for my ice cream shop. And I, I could not rest until it was done. Everything led me to it. Like my coffee tasted bitter. I couldn't enjoy it. I had to just go and do it. And once it was done, I had this immense feeling of satisfaction. And I started feeling it for every little thing. Like, oh, my God, I got to do this. I got to do that. Blah, 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 blah. If you reprogram your subconscious mind with this trick, I find that you can improve your life in so many different ways. And if you also listen to affirmations, make, it, make them yourself. Speak them into your phone and record them and loop it back for eight hours so that you get that eight hours of sleep that you need. And you fall asleep, listen to this. And uh, there are a bunch of tips in the book that explain how to make it, uh, how to do it right, because you can't just wing it. There are all kinds of consequences for doing it wrong. Trust me, I found them out through trial and error. But all of it's available in the book. Um, if you reprogram yourself to stop complaining and alienating everybody around you by doing that, and trust me, you are, if you stop, uh, feeling paranoid, if you stop uh, feeling attacked by everybody you stop finding, uh, reasons in everybody else's attitudes, uh, where they're attacking you in all these ways, real or imagined, and instead feel gratitude that you're alive still, that you've made it this far. Like our ancestors did not live this long, and we are each one of us richer than the richest king from 200 years ago. Trust me, we've got so many more things than kings had. But we take them for granted and we just don't appreciate them and we go through life complaining. But if you repeat to yourself how grateful you are that you have these things, make your gratitude list and read it at night before you go to sleep and then read it again before you wake up. You're like, oh, my God. Yes, I am eternally grateful. The fact that I have indoor plumbing. The fact that I have running water, that I have privacy, that a tribe of hillmen is not going to come out of the hills around us and burn my yurt and take me off into slavery. I'm not going to be eaten by a tiger on the way to work. All of these are different things that we should be grateful for, but we're not. So write it down and start and read it to yourself and start thinking about it and you will become grateful and you'll improve your posture and 
the colors of the world will be brighter and the food will taste better and you'll be nicer to other people and in turn they'll be nicer to you uh, somebody once told me how do you get more hugs give them well you'll start getting more hugs more smiles more positivity from other people everybody asks me hi how are you and i tell them fantastic and i could have a splitting headache or my mother could have just passed away. But I tell people, fantastic. And they appreciate that. And they go, wow, thank you. Thank you for telling me that you're fantastic. It really does make people brighten up. They love it. Um, my favorite priest, Ayatilio, um, uh, he would tell me and my wife, like, thank you for saying fantastic, instead of slumping your shoulders and telling me, Oh, well, everything's bad in my life. My tummy's all messed up and my mother-in-law's being a jerk. Like, Shut up. I don't care. I don't want to hear about that. Tell me about that during confession. I don't want to hear about it right now. I'm just saying hello. Hi, how are you? All that means is hello. So I instead say, fantastic. And they go, yeah, you're right. And I'm fantastic too. It improves everybody's day. Little things like that. Did you have another question? I have some more, but I really appreciate you sharing Please. and your your willingness to share and your vulnerability to kind of take us through those trials and tribulations that that you've faced and and where it's brought you today and and for highlighting um, the reprogramming of our subconscious mind and how that can be an incredibly powerful tool in taking our power back and becoming our own healer, hero, or leader. Let's talk a little bit more about your restaurant and your culinary journey. Um, what's the most rewarding part of being a chef for you? And how does that align with your broader philosophy on life and success? The most rewarding thing is being told by people how amazing the food was. Now, not everybody likes it. Sometimes we have to have off days just like anybody. But the majority of the people that eat in our restaurant tell us that it's amazing. Uh, they've never had anything that good. Um, I've had some people that were so impressed that they swore that they were going to go home if they were tourists and they were going to go home and start cooking that way. They were going to start finding new ways to cook old dishes so it's not the same old humdrum thing that they've had all their lives. Because um, if you do things the same way you've always done, you're always going to be the same person you've always been. But if you start changing things up, even in the most minute of ways, like eating something different that's delicious and making it yourself, it's... It'll greatly improve your self-esteem. Uh, it'll make, like I said about gratitude, the colors of the world seem brighter. And the most rewarding thing about having our restaurant where we cook our own original dishes and cook traditional Italian and sometimes French dishes, but with our own twist on them to give them a different, uh, to give them an entirely different flavor. When people applaud, when people actually clap, that is the most rewarding thing. It makes me feel like 
like I'm like I'm okay. I've been an actor too, uh, on the stage mostly. And the thrill of finishing your performance and nailing it. And when you go up and you stand in front of the audience and just bare your soul in front of them and you can barely see them there. There's just this blackness, but you can definitely hear them. And it's terrifying because they're either going to evaluate, validate your existence or completely obliterate you. And you get a roar of approval. That feeling I feel every time I ask people, how was everything? And they look up beaming with this face of, oh my God, I have never in my life had anything this good. That was amazing. I, I don't know how you did it. And that, that makes me feel like every moment of hard work, every bit of sweat, um, Opening a restaurant at eight in the morning and closing it at midnight like we used to before I realized, oh, wait, I am mortal and I need to sleep. That makes absolutely everything worthwhile. That. Awesome answer. And I know as a as an entrepreneur and as someone that has, you know, really taken your life in your hands and created the life of of your dreams, of your wildest dreams. Um you know, I feel like it's definitely going into that, that ownership of your life, you're always at the risk of potentially failures, and you make failures, but also of people not enjoying the food or not liking your art or not liking your writing. How do you continue to push on and not allow others to um, get in your head about, you know, what they may think of your work? It is hard. But um one of those books on tape that I listened to a thousand times as a childhood was Aesop's Fables. And a very famous fable of Aesop's was uh, uh, the man with the donkey and the man with the wife and the donkey. And the moral was in trying to please everybody, you will please no one. For the first few years, I did try to please everyone. Now, I've always listened to people's advice and commentary. And if people say, Mm, you know what? I There was one thing that I didn't like. Yes, I absolutely listened to you. And I take it into consideration. The first few years, we would completely change everything based on one person's criticism and then bother the next person with it. And so over the years, I I came to understand which person, which people's uh criticisms I will take to heart and which I will let roll off my back. Um, I've got to think about where this uh, uh, criticism is coming from. Uh, who was it that said, uh, and never take a criticism from people yeah. whose advice you wouldn't ask? So yes, uh, with my art, uh, I would ask everybody what they thought and come to understand that not everybody's opinion really matters especially people that went to art school so i had this one painting it was a very controversial painting for a long time and uh i thought it was a powerful message and people that took it that really looked at it and understood what it was considered it a powerful message but i had 
to hide this painting in the restaurant's bathroom so that people would see it once they'd locked the door and turn around and they were hit in the face with it and like, whoa, what the hell is that? And I had written out an explanation of it for people that didn't get it in two languages. It was the Rosetta Stone of the bathroom with in English and in Spanish. So that's predominantly my uh, guests at the restaurant speak either English or Spanish. People come to us from all over the world, but English has become the lingua franca of the globe. So it is a painting of a Japanese woman uh, wearing this purple robe, but she's sitting down cross-legged and with a katana, uh, stuck in the ground and coming up behind her and you can see the hilt and handle and pommel over her shoulder and her kimono is open showing a, showing a bared breast and with the other breast she is nursing a leopard cub and there are human bones scattered around her and another cub chewing on like gnawing on one of the bones a femur and in the background is that leopard cub's dying mother. Yeah, I can understand why that would be disturbing. I do. And when it was hanging up on the wall over one of our tables for six, people would come in and say, like, oh, boy, oh, boy, I can't wait to eat here. Yeah, we've heard so much about you and all your amazing food. And uh, without a word, up they get and walk out. And the and I'm going, hey, what happened? What are, where are you going? And a lot of times they would just leave without a word. Sometimes they would say, yeah, sorry, we're looking for steak. We got steak. We got steak with a blackberry chipotle sauce that's rubbed with seven different spices. We've got uh, steak with that's stuffed with spinach and mozzarella and bathed in a creamy pink peppercorn sauce with a roasted balsamic garlic tomato. Where are you going? And they got just sorry. We lost eight tables at least because of, I finally realized that painting. So, oh my God, got to do something. All right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it off the wall, put something else there, something that doesn't bother people so much. And I'm going to put it in the bathroom with an explanation so that you are a captive audience for at least a couple of minutes. You cannot leave. <laughs> and they open up the door and they, they turn around, they close it lock it behind them, turn around and go. And because they are a prisoner with it for at least a few minutes, they have a chance to look at it and understand it. If you just look at it with this cursory glance, oh my God, what the heck is that? They go. But, and some people have figured it out without reading it and other people have read it and gone, what the, f oh, oh. Oh, wow. And when they come out of the bathroom, every last one of them goes, guys, guys, come here. Look at this painting in the bathroom. And and they all crowd around like 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 a bunch of like mice trying to get it, get into the hole once at the same time. Um, and they all go, oh, wow. But what the heck is that? And it goes, no. And then they explain like. Look, so look at how there's these claw marks on the woman's purple gown. She was attacked by this leopard. And look at all these human bones. 
and, and a wild animal will normally go to great lengths to avoid attacking a human being. But once it has tasted human flesh, it will not settle for anything else because apparently we taste that good. And they will not settle for antelope anymore. They'll go hungry looking for humans. And there are so many human bones scattered around this, the ruins of this animal, uh, that this, where this animal has made its den and fed her offspring, that any person that walks by is prey just like she was. See, she's already been attacked by it. And there's her katana. She defended herself. But after she dealt this mother a mortal blow, she saw that she had just orphaned some innocent cubs. Now, these cubs are going to grow up to be predators later. But at this time, they're innocent. And they are orphans, which means they are going to be prey for some other animal. And this woman feels like, oh, poor things. Here, you're my responsibility now. And I named the painting Gaijin Shogun, which was the nickname that the Japanese gave to their conqueror, uh, General Douglas MacArthur, after World War II, when he began their reformation. Right? And, and got them back up on their feet and going again to become eventually a superpower. And Gaijin Shogun means foreign military leader. So this woman, even though she's not a leopard, she's taken it upon herself. And yeah, I know, you know like she has to have recently given birth to her other baby for her to give milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if that's the problem you have with this painting, yeah, not talk. But the reason I stopped asking everybody's opinion on my paintings was some of the criticism that I received. And the bad criticism, the worst criticism, always came from people who had been to art school and had been taught to interpret a painting many different ways. This is one of my controversial opinions on art. If a painting can be interpreted many different ways by many different people, the artist has failed. The point of art is to communicate an idea to someone who speaks a different language than you or years after your death when you're not there to explain it. So these people would say, one, one woman said, I feel that this painting is a metaphor for the violence and sexuality. I'm sorry, the what? The violence and sexuality? And they're like, yes, well, you have to admit that sex is violent. And Oh, maybe I'm doing it wrong, but I don't see how. So we had that argument said, well, what do these human bones like this skull over here? What does that represent? I represent dead people. It means that this animal has eaten human beings, making it a man eater, which means something which speaks volumes if you actually know about it. And my hope is that people that are confused about certain things uh, will go online and use this massively influential supercomputer that they carry around in their pocket that has almost all the knowledge known to humankind up until this moment that they normally use to look at porn and cat videos and gossip over one another at one another. Um, 
Anyway, long story short, too late. This is why I stopped listening to everybody's criticism, because some people are coming from a place where they've been influenced by other people to interpret things in wholly inaccurate ways. That's why. Another very long-winded explanation. But again, um, a great explanation. And I think Thank it's... You. I think it's so important um, for us to unleash our full expression, and it's it's very difficult to do so, but you're definitely an inspiration for someone who has done that in his art, in his writing, and in his uh, culinary abilities. Thank you. Yeah, to, to cap off the show, drawing from your own experience and life journey, in your own words, what does it mean to live thrivingly? I feel that it is to be conscious of your own mortality like I am now, except for when I fall into the trap of social media again, to be conscious of the fact that our lives are finite and every second is precious and we need to, uh, to quote Rudyard Kipling from his poem, if live every waking minute, fill every waking minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Take advantage of the fact that you're alive right now in the greatest time ever to be alive. Like, look, we can, we can travel to the other side of the planet in a day. We can communicate with the other side of the planet instantaneously. We have this wealth of knowledge available to us. We must use it to make our ancestors fight to produce us. I mean, just consider all of the things that everyone in our line has gone through to make sure that we could be born and make the world a nice enough place, no matter what you may think of it right now. It is the nicest place it's ever been. And our ancestors went through hell to make sure that we could be here. We owe it to them to use all of these things that are now available to us to make the world even better for the people that will descend from us. We must do that. And the people that aren't, the people that are complaining about, oh, my God, how much I suffer. You know, uh, I'm oppressed because somebody's not calling me by the pronoun that I'd rather be called by. Yeah, listen, if you feel oppressed, why don't you go down to an old folks home and try and tell a Holocaust survivor that how oppressed you are? Uh, feel grateful. Use every waking minute to your advantage and 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 live truly thrivingly and Stop making excuses for yourself for why you're not. Be the hero of your own movie. Get yourself behind the driver's seat of your life instead of bound and gagged in the trunk. Beautifully said, Alexander. Thank you. Love that perspective. Yeah, before we go, uh, could you share some places where people could connect with you or follow along with your work? Well... Um, 
let's see, we have a website uh, that has two names, Sobre Mesa GT, uh, Sobre Mesa Guatemala.com. Um, Sobre Mesa is originally the name for it. It was my wife's dream for a long time to have a high-end dessert place. And Sobre Mesa means uh, dessert in Portuguese. But in Spanish, it has another meaning that does not translate into English well. And it's the time you spend at the table after you've finished eating, enjoying one another's company. And you might not have anything else. You might have, linger over a coffee or have a liqueur or a glass of wine. But really what you're doing is enjoying one another. That's being in sobremesa. And uh maybe an easier one for english speaking people uh to remember is the other domain name that's www.alexferrar.com a l e x f e r r a r and that's where we keep uh all the information about the restaurant which is um my real my real passion and the books and the art and the ice cream company uh, are all on that same website. Uh, you can check out what we're doing now on there. And also we have three Instagrams, the Sobre Mesa Antigua and Elado Sobre Mesa and Alexander J. Ferrar, because there are so many Alexander other Ferrars out there. I had to put in my middle initial. Um, Alexander J. Ferrar uh on instagram and got a facebook page uh alexander farrar uh artist and author that's where you can communicate with me and i love to hear people's feedback i had people writing to me all the time and telling me what they thought of the book they just read and how it makes them see the world in a different light and how they're going to uh, go on and research the things that I talked about in it. I don't want to uh, uh, bog people down with uh, uh, an unpleasant to read nonfiction book about human trafficking or uh, sex slavery or the bug chasers and the gift givers, which are things I think every sexually active person needs to know about. Go, go Google that. Um, all these different issues, these hot topic issues, um, uh, gender dysphoria, how are foods being poisoned? Um, I don't wanna write about that in uh, uh, heavy nonfiction. I write about it in fun, comedy romance and adventure stories and people accidentally learn things when they're reading these uh, these fun stories and then they write to me on facebook or instagram and tell me how much it affected their lives or how much the hero the hero mindset has changed the way they look at everything and they started using the um the exercises that i explain in it and it's this one kid told me about how after he read memoirs of a swine he used the advice that was in it that i showed rather than told to actually get his first girlfriend and yeah, yeah, we broke up because I'm still the schmuck that I was three months ago, but now I understand why she broke up with me, and I can change that about myself for my next relationship. Oh, my God, I'm so happy that I am having a positive influence on people. So, 
um, that's where you can find me to tell me how I might have affected you or which of the 22 about to be 24 books you can read that might affect you specifically because they're not all the same. Well, thank you again for your incredible work and for sharing all this with the world. Uh, I definitely enjoyed connecting with you here and meeting you down in Guatemala. And I would highly recommend anyone that enjoyed this episode to read one of Alexander's books or visit his restaurants or taste his delicious ice creams. Thank you very much, Jackson. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And this has been a great interview. It's been definitely one of my favorites. Wow, what an incredible journey we've embarked on today, folks. I hope this conversation touched you as much as it did me, and you're walking away with some gems to enrich your own life. Now, if you're loving the Live Thrivingly podcast as much as I love creating it, I'd truly appreciate if you could take a few moments to leave me a review. Your feedback not only helps us improve and bring you more of what you love, but it also helps other seekers like you find this podcast. It's one of the best ways you can support the growth of this podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to join our thriving tribe on Instagram at Live Thrivingly. It's a beautiful community where we can connect with like-minded souls and stay updated on all things Live Thrivingly. I'd love to see you there. And remember, every moment is an opportunity to choose to live thrivingly. I'm your host, Jackson Hall, and until next time, stay curious, stay courageous, and keep thriving.